Welcome to the Core Women Podcast, the place for women entrepreneurs, authors, and self-starters looking to build community and gain valuable insights through expert interviews with women at the top of their game. Join your host, podcaster, producer, expert coach, entrepreneur, and author, Dr. Summer Watson, as she aims to inspire and empower you through these candid conversations. Lean in and embrace the journey. It's time to start the show. Here's your host, Dr. Summer Watson. Today on the show, I would like to welcome Heidi Harriet, who is a third-generation animal owner, trainer, and committed caretaker. Her parents were well-respected animal trainers. Heidi has traveled throughout North America, exhibiting her beautifully trained horses and dogs. She also enjoys hosting clinics, specifically highlighting effective and universally recognized dog and horse training techniques. Heidi served as the head trainer and or animal consultant for various venues at such places as Tournament of Kings show at Excalibur in Las Vegas and Walt Disney World Company in Florida. She has been featured on multiple radio programs and TV shows such as iHeartRadio, Good Morning America, MSNBC, and on Animal Planet's Pet Star, America's Got Talent, Walt Disney, Nickelodeon Studios, and more. We have so much (laughs) to chat about today, Heidi. So let's jump right into this and welcome. Well, thank you. I'm really thrilled to be here. Thank you. (laughs) You are welcome. And thank you for being here. So before we get into your professional background, I'd like you to describe your journey thus far in a single word. Wow, the word that comes to mind is awesome. Nice. Okay, so tell yeah. us more. Why does that word resonate with you? I, you know, I, I've had to take big chances and reach out for opportunities that seem so obscure and such. But I've had my ups and downs. You know, some people's ride is just kind of like that. Mine is like a roller coaster. But boy, the highs are high and I'm willing to put up with the lows and understand and expect things to happen. For example, I travel a lot. I've traveled physically with a motorhome, an RV, pulling my animals in a trailer behind and all that goes with that. And people see the glamorous side of especially performing with the animals in my rhinestone wardrobe and my beautiful horse or one of my dogs or such. And I think that's about 10 minutes of my day and the other 23 hours and whatever could be changing tires, shoveling manure, you know, dealing with uh, ill animals or just the challenges of traveling. And, but the reward to me, the, the exhilaration, it, I just always think of the word awesome. Oh my I, love, goodness. I love my world. Yeah. yeah. I love what you created for yourself and we're going to get more into that. You know, I love that you mentioned that, not just the word awesome, but what's behind that and the highs and lows, because I think a lot of times people get caught up in that glitz and glamour, like you were talking about. Wow, she does this. She's on radio. She's been in Vegas. But it's more than that. You're carrying on a legacy. You're doing doing the work behind the scenes, which is 90% of what you're doing. Like you said, you're shoveling manure. You're driving that caravan. (laughs) you know, across the country, you're caring for animals, all of that. And it's so meaningful and so purposeful and so intentional. And so let's get into the next question, because I do want you, I want to know, 
more about that professional life. You've been around animals all your life, have grown up watching your parents train animals, and you also went into the profession of training and caring for animals. Tell us more about your past, your parents' legacy, and how you carried on this legacy. Well, I'm a third-generation animal trainer and caretaker and, uh, you know, love animals. My grandfather got us started, Milt Harriet, and he worked for circuses and fairs, and he was a curator at a zoo in uh, D.C., actually, the National Zoo. Yeah, so really always liked interacting and training animals. He was the first generation my father picked up that ball and ran with it. My mother was a, a farm girl who, the Toby Tyler story, ran away and joined the circus, met my father, the animal trainer, and together they carried on the legacy of working with animals. So I grew up with a menagerie of animals, and we call my dad Dr. Doolittle, a veritable Dr. Doolittle. So, you know, long before I heard those words, It was like my father communicated with animals in a way that just seemed uh, superhuman. But to me, it was, you know, an everyday occurrence. In my young life, I grew up with elephants, camels, horses, llamas, zebras, goats, pigs, uh, dogs, and little ponies and miniature horses and stuff. And uh, that was my playground, my sisters and I. And you know what's really cool about that? Farm families, too, are the same, agricultural families. When you grow up with animals to that extent, you do not come first. You don't even come second or third, you know. It's about the world around you. It's about understanding we have to take care of those animals. We're their stewards or caretakers. My father and mother drilled that into us. And that no matter what, birthdays, holidays, whatever, the animals came first. And it's a really great way to find out, one, that to understand the world is bigger than you, but also to find out what you're made of. You know, because it's a lot of work, a lot of heartache, a lot of joy. Anybody who has a family pet can can uh, relate to some of that, but then take that to a much bigger scenario. And uh, it was, you know, just an awesome way to grow up. And again, the highs and lows of that world. But and some people don't embrace it. I I went away for a while when I was an adult and then came back and was all in. Perspective is a wonderful thing. It, it really is. So you now carry on this legacy. Yes. So tell us when you came back to it and you created or carried on that legacy, what did that look like for you? How did that develop for you? What was the impetus for saying, I want to do this too? So the, you know, the opportunities presented themselves because growing up as a Harriet in the, in the animal world, in the circus world, like Ringling Brothers and that, is like being a Kennedy in politics. Our name was known and our reputation was good. That being said, it might get you opportunities, but you still have to fulfill the opportunities and do good. And my father, at the risk of having us uh, mar the reputation or have any nepotism, actually withheld opportunities from us, made us try even harder um, which, you know, my parents are gone now, but there are times I think back on that and wouldn't have, I didn't do it that way with my children. I fully understood the aspect of it. And he just went to greater lengths. So I wasn't handed anything. I had to figure it all out. They didn't give me any animals or equipment or anything like that. So I just chose, I was also an aerialist. I did trapeze. 
in the circus world, it's like a movie. You can learn everything. A sister, I have a sister who's a juggler. And so, but we all work with animals was uh, kind of first and foremost. So I traveled with my trepees and my, my horses. And um, I, I chose to do it because I loved it. I, I went through school, got out of school and couldn't wait to go on the road. I graduated from high school a semester early, had my own motorhome and off I went. My apartment was on wheels. <laughs> and my college was the the United States and beyond. And then I backed up and went to college because I wanted to see what it was all about. I've always had a desire for other things, but at the core, I've got my I'm a turtle. I have my shell on my back and I'm I'm not afraid of being uncomfortable. Probably the biggest gift I got in my world was that it's a big world out there and embrace it and you know, it's going to have its challenges, but the good parts are high. Great. You know, yeah, absolutely. So you are a well-respected and recognized as an animal welfare expert, and you have served as a national spokesperson. Yes. Tell us more about this and how you support animal welfare. Yeah. So this is a really big thing for me. And this is what has prompted me to start my own podcast and uh, go down this road called Animal Tales. And so growing up as a third generation animal owner, trainer, caretaker, and knowing the animals always come first and living with elephants. I literally grew up with elephants, Topsy, Eva, and Toby. And we were about the same age. We literally grew up together. So growing up in that world, my father was a hero to so many. I'm currently going to be a keynote speaker tomorrow at the Circus Fans convention. I'm here in Newport News, Virginia. So I'm sitting in a business office in a hotel um, traveling at the moment. And so they're so excited to have me talk about my legacy. And they always want to know about my father who's passed on. So a hero to so many and, and all his colleagues and peers. And all of a sudden they're being called horrible names. And, you know, just by virtue of the fact that they work with the animals, not because there's information indicating that there's a problem because I would support that. I absolutely, anybody who cares about animals, we are in line. We love animals. We want the best for animals, but people now have a philosophy, emotion, and ideology about animals. And they really don't want to hear the other side of the story. I'm not telling you what to think. I'm just want to provide the information. So working with animals, I got tired of being harassed and called horrible names and banned or whatever was going on, you know, legislation and such. So I, I joined a trade association, became a spokesperson and made great strides and just, again, wanted to get our story out. We're no different than any other industry, um, whether you're a, a podcaster, a legislator, a waitress, a dentist, whatever. There's the lowest common denominator. And all that's happening in the, in the animal world is because, again, there's emotion and ideology and philosophy, is they're taking the lowest common denominator, holding it up and say, I don't care what they tell you. This is how they all are, you know, and it's not true. It's absolutely not true. Right. And as, as I sit here today and I would tell you if I and I have done it, if I believe something is not going well and needs to be reported, I'd stand beside you and report it. I believe in it because I care about animals. Yeah, well, I love hearing that. And it's always so important before we jump to conclusions to hear different Absolutely. aspects and different sides of an issue. 
of a theme of a subject. And, you know, as we're having this conversation, you've talked about growing up with animals, understanding the ecology of those animal families that you've been around, the philosophy that you have as an expert in the field. And so I think that you have a lot to say. You've grown up with this. You're carrying on a legacy. So here's the thing. I think that everybody's opinion is important to hear. And I think a lot of times we jump to this is it and this is all it is. And we've become more apt to doing that today. It's guilty first until innocent before proven guilty, right? And I think that needs to shift a little bit. Part of my podcast theme is, and I do media training as well, because again, I had to get media training to be able to tell our story. Right. So there's the emojis, the, the happy face, the, the care emoji. Correct. Oh, and you know, we see animals and we put that, that's a, that's a quick one to click on. Or there's the red angry face or the tear, other popular emoji related to animals. And I've said for years, This is the emoji, the thinking face. Hmm. Be curious, be be inquisitive, be thoughtful and be willing. And think about that with anything in our world today, politics, um, all the issues that are out there, guns, abortion, all of that. If we would just at least consider, and everybody has the right to make up their mind, absolutely. But when you start making up other people's mind, telling lies and putting people out of business or using violence or whatever to get your way there's a problem right Right. and so just you know just be the thinking face just hear what's out there then with the information go ahead and make up your mind and live your life the way you want to live it but stop taking you know we're getting there's bans out there for the type of work i do that are just absurd and you know what at the heart of it they're hurting the actual species themselves they're endangering Asian elephants, for example, even more by the programs that are out there because of being emotional and philosophical. And I well, go into that in my podcast quite very, very deeply. We're going to talk about that, but I like what you're saying here. And I talk about it often. There's a difference between being reactive and being responsive. Yes. And being responsive is giving yourself time to step back, take a breather, Be invested in what you're talking about, doing the research, and then understanding what your long-term goal is in relation to what you're talking about, what you're trying to get across, what you want to support, all of that. But there's a distinct difference between that reaction and that response. Think how different our world would be right now if we just did that with the political side of our world, right? I mean, it would would be amazing. You know, It it really would. It certainly would. Now, I want to get to my next question, which is you have been featured on multiple radio programs, several TV shows, and now you have your own podcast, Animal Tales. Tell us more about the podcast and where people can listen to it. The podcast is going to start airing in probably late October at this point. So what I'm doing is profiling animals and the people who love and care for them. And a lot of people automatically think I'm going to talk about, you know, oh, shelters and adopt, don't shop and that kind of stuff. Actually, I'm going to provide another perspective on a lot of that type of thing. So I I just interviewed the CEO of the Iditarod race. Mm. Oh, it was fascinating. It was so exciting. And he talks about 
how they're lobbied to the point of trying to put them out of business and that the the lengths they go to are unbelievable. He even mentions that um, he partnered with one of the most famous tech people on the planet right now to create harnesses that have a GPS type signal because they're out in the tundra. They can't just say, oh, we're going to use GPS to make sure that if anything happens to one of the dogs. And I mean, it's the lengths they go to are amazing. And it's totally fascinating talking with him. I talked with the president of the National Animal Interest Alliance about shelters and the fact that we actually import over a million dogs to this country to meet the need for animal shelters because there aren't enough adoptable dogs. I'm not lying about this. And people actually get mad when I say this. It's a dilemma. There's more to that story. Again, let's be thoughtful. I'm not just saying don't do that. I'm saying there's more. I talked to a medical researcher who created a program, Homes for Animal Heroes, to adopt out the dogs in medical research when their service is finished. So again, absolutely fascinating. And then my first interview, I'm not sure if it'll be the first podcast, the man who is responsible for more live births of baby Asian elephants than anybody outside of Southeast Asia. And that's unprecedented. One of the most highly endangered animals on the planet. And there's more to that story. Should you ride an elephant in Southeast Asia? Is that a bad thing? No, it's not. And we'll tell you why. We'll tell you why that supports amazing conservation programs. So what feels emotional and good, and I know people want to do the right thing, but they're misled by this vocal minority, this noise of epic proportions, these groups that are animal rights, they call themselves animal protection, but they're, you know, at the, at the top level, they're, they're not doing the right thing, but well-meaning individuals get involved. And I want to provide some other information to say, hey, there's another way to get involved and truly support animals. And we'll stand right there with you. Yeah, I love that. What you're saying is both intriguing. And if people lean in and listen, it's educational. Yes. And here's the thing. Again, you're offering different perspectives that we haven't heard. And that is so important. And I think a lot of times, like you said, we get caught up in that noise, right? And we get caught up in the visuals. Oh, of, yeah. Uh, oh, my goodness. Of the puppy, of the this. The, of the crying puppy. emoji or the angry. Yeah, it, there's that. It's right there. And these people are experts. You can't dispel when you listen to these people. They live it. They do it. They're telling you their story. They're not getting mad. They're not saying everybody else is wrong. They're saying, here's my story. And you just can't dismiss it. These are these are people who live it every day. And yeah. they're the, the experts the government looks to, you know. Right. It's Absolutely. fantastic. And those opinions are so important to listen to. Yeah. They may not be the only ones that you're listening to, but they're important to hear. Factor them in. Exactly. And a lot of times we want to hear one opinion, dismiss everything else. And it's like to be responsive, we welcome others' opinions, others' educational information, the experience and wisdom that they could potentially offer. Because here's the thing, we may not take that all in and swallow all of it, but if we take pieces and we put together our information and go, okay, I have a better understanding of this. I can understand both sides. 
-hmm. or I can understand A, B, and C, and I lend to this. Fine. At least you've listened. At least you had given yourself the opportunity to hear, digest, and take that out into the world and say, hey, take a listen to this. This is a different opinion. We tend to look for things that support the narrative we're, we're going with. Yeah. And I'm saying, let's get a little uncomfortable. Let's get to the middle. Mm. Think and let's, let's hear it, you know? Yeah, I love that. Let's get a little uncomfortable. Let's get uncomfortable, <laughs> people. <laughs> Here's what else I love, Heidi, is that as we began this conversation, we talked about where this began, where this started. And how you took your dream and what you learned from the people around you, your parents, and how you took that and you applied it to your life. There's yes. been ups, there's downs, but through all of that, you've gained wisdom, even mm-hmm. through missteps, right? That's Absolutely. That's Absolutely. Yes. And so all that wisdom has come to this place, this place right here where you're going to be a keynote speaker tomorrow. You have your podcast. You've traveled the world. You've educated. You've been on TV stations, radio shows. Here you are today. So my last question for you is, as we come to the close of this interview, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? I would say that it's really important to step outside our comfort zone. And I, I mentor high school kids when I have the opportunity. It's something I really want to do more of. And a friend of mine who also does the same and works with them to get into college came home yesterday. I was staying with her in Baltimore and said to me, Heidi, what can we do to help these young women? She was meeting with a young woman. Um, be more confident because her and I both have a confidence that we've worked hard to come by. But I've always had a, a confidence within myself because I had to get uncomfortable so often. And I think you need to belong to something that's bigger than you. And I think you need to get a little uncomfortable so you can walk in other shoes a little bit. I always think to myself, I wonder what's going on with them, whether somebody's really angry or somebody's sad or something. And and boy, work, find a job. You hear this all the time. Do something, find something you love and make a job out of it. And you'll never work a day in your life. I am so privileged. I work my ass off, but I love what I do. It doesn't feel like work. And people ask me when I'll retire. What? Why? (laughs) Nobody in my world ever retires. You know, we have an expression. You want to go with your boots on, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to people, to young folks out there, they're, They are trying to live their best life, but also get a little uncomfortable. You know, the safe zones aren't always the place to be. Sometimes we need to step outside those and just breathe and, you know, be be strong, breathe and find a community to embrace you. We've got to have support. We've got to have a community and women particularly help each other, reach out to each other, reach out to young women. I love all these strong women in our world that write books and have been in politics or that and great voices. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Well, I love your words of wisdom, Heidi. Thank you so much for joining me on the core women podcast today. I love what you do. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. You can follow Heidi Harriet on LinkedIn, Facebook, and her website at HeidiHarriet.com. 
Thank you for joining us on the Core Women Podcast with Dr. Summer Watson. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect more with you. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Core Women and on Twitter at Core Women One. For more about Core Women and Dr. Watson, visit corewomen.com. Want more support and resources for amazing women like you? Great. Join Dr. Watson and Jen Fontanilla at the Life, Love & Money Collective, a core women production that aids in understanding the key traits that might be getting in the way of living a life that you are absolutely passionate about. Connect with Summer and Jen and find out more at thelifeloveandmoney.com.